0: Merry Christmas, everybody. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Brian, and I'm actually in the process of stepping in as the new lead pastor here at Northern Hills. Oh, okay. I will take that golf clap. I will take it. Um, Now, here's the thing. If that is news to you, you don't need to feel bad. That just means you weren't here two weeks ago. This is news for everybody. And we just have this really unique situation where our current lead pastor, John, John, approached me a little while back and said, hey, would you be open to this crazy idea of you stepping into this role so I can move into the executive pastor role, seeing all the operations and business of the church, and we just went through this whole prayer and planning process and really felt like this was the best thing. You guys hearing some of that fuzz right now? We'll get that figured out. I promise you, okay? It's probably my mic. This is why you do three services on Christmas Eve, okay? So, now, yeah, you guys are getting big, as you said. There you go. Now, this is perfect timing for that to happen because I was just about to say, if you're going to step in as the new lead pastor of a church, you probably shouldn't do it on the most attended services of the entire year. What could possibly go wrong, right? So that was good timing. But honestly, Nicole, my wife and I, we are just so excited and honored to just be a part of Northern Hills Church and see what God all has ahead. And let me just um, make a little side note before we get in. We are all in here together. We have families, and some of you guys are here with your kids, and I know that that can just create a little bit of anxiety and stress, worrying about the noise and distractions and fidgeting. Let me just put your minds at ease. Do not sweat it, okay? We are not expecting this to be a pristine, perfect environment. We are expecting some motion and movement around, and we will get through any distractions or events that happen, all right? Does that sound good? I want everybody to have a good time. So let's, let's just dig in, all right? Many years ago, something utterly world-changing happened. History would forever be shaped around this single event. The entire way we experience life as we know it would never be the same. And the year was 1996. God moved powerfully in 1996. This was the biggest news I had ever heard in my life up to this point, and it was the release of the Nintendo 64. I got a clap out of that. Thank you very much. I heard some woos. That's the most exciting you'll be all night, I'm sure. Right there. 64 bits of pure gaming glory. Four consecutive players at one time. Multiple color options for the controllers. Games like Mario Kart and GoldenEye that fundamentally redefined fun itself. There were rumors that one encounter with this machine could convince even the most skeptical atheist that there was a god. And I had heard stories from my classmates at school. I saw news ads on TV. I even collected Toys R Us catalogs so I could look at the pictures of the machine. Does that make it sound like it was so long ago? And I was just hoping one day I could have a genuine encounter with this machine. Now, what I find so interesting about today is we are all gathered here in this room in the middle of Colorado because a piece of news went out 2,000 years ago. Now, let me just say this. If you are still talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago, if literally billions of people are going to gather for special services today and tomorrow because of this news, all I have to say is something happened. Something significant happened. And we actually have some of the details around the event of the first Christmas recorded by a guy named Luke. And some of his writings ended up in what we call our New Testament today. And this is some of Luke's account of what happened at that time Luke 2, verse 8: And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Now, I just got to ask you today, what comes to your mind when you hear the word news? I almost think this word is unsalvageable in our current cultural moment because anytime somebody tells me, oh, did you hear the news? My first thought isn't, oh, what news? It's, well, whose news is it? What agenda is about to get pushed on me? What propaganda is about to get shoved down my throat? And even if the news is true, I think we've learned that the entire industry has found out that good news does not make for good clickbait. The bad news is where the money's at. And so anytime I'm looking at news, I feel like they're trying to tell me, this is what you need to be furious about, this is who you need to hate, and here's why you should be offended right in this moment. It's all about the bad news. And there's actually a lot of people today who would say that the message of Christianity or even Jesus himself is not particularly good news. Somewhere the story has gotten twisted for a lot of people. And honestly, it's not even that hard for that to happen. You have one bad experience with a spiritual authority in your life. You see organized religion used for selfish, destructive purposes. Honestly, for so many people, you just decide for yourself that it's not relevant for you. It might be important to other people, but it's not for you. I can guarantee you right now in this room, there are some of you here, you are only here because you're appeasing a family member. You are fulfilling some obligation. Let me just say this. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. I'm glad you made it out. But can we just acknowledge that for a lot of people, any promotion of the Christian message or Jesus feels like an agenda is being pushed on you. And just because of the cultural moment we're in, I actually think it's important to look at the agenda of Luke. Why did he feel led to write this stuff down? Why are we even reading it right now? And should we? And he actually gives us some of his motives in his first words. And you got to have some context here. Luke was actually a doctor by trade. He was not a theologian or a pastor. He was out there fighting COVID and all the variants of his day, trying to survive. And somehow Luke gets swept up in this Jesus movement happening in the first century. So much so that Luke was actually a close companion and coworker of Paul himself, the famous apostle. And Luke takes it upon himself to write down some of the details of the events he actually experiences at this time. But he gives us his first words and his entire agenda right here at the beginning of this letter. This is what he says. Luke 1, verse 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Now, I just got to ask, how many people are trying to write about the events of your life right now? I'm going to make a guess. Not very many. (laughs) I know we're all special snowflakes in this room. Can we just acknowledge most of our lives are not very newsworthy? I mean, nobody has approached me yet to write a book about my life, okay? I am not expecting it. And yet Luke is trying to make this point. Something so significant has happened that a lot of people are trying to get these events written down in a time when it would be really expensive and difficult to do that. And Luke goes on. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. So again, Luke wants us to understand, there were people who were actually alive then who encountered Jesus himself. They were at some of these events and they could corroborate what actually happened. This is not just hearsay. I love this next verse, verse three. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Now, why I think that line is so important is that gives us absolute definitive proof that Luke did not work for any of the major news networks of our day. Now, I actually started lifting, listing off some examples in the run-through, and John said, you know what, don't die on that hill at Christmas Eve, Brian. You're going to offend half the room. So hopefully everybody's equally offended right now, okay? I'm talking about your news network right now, all right? Just Next one. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, Most Honorable Theophilus. Now, what we know about Theophilus is that he was likely a wealthy person at that time, maybe a business owner, who bankrolled Luke's entire writing project. He just funded the whole thing. And we get the last little phrase here from Luke so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Here's why this is so important for us to understand. Luke is saying, my agenda is facts. What actually happened? He's saying, I am trying to put together an accurate account of a real historical event so you can be confident that it's true. So when Luke, we fast forward to chapter two again, he says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. He is not just instituting some cultural holiday. So you can wear uncomfortable sweaters, go to awkward office parties and sing songs that are only allowed between Thanksgiving and New Year's. Okay, there is no propaganda being pushed here. There's no political agenda, no ulterior motives. This is about something that happened. History has been affected forever the ripple effect is going to last into eternity. And so that just begs the question, then what's the news, Luke? What is the big deal? What are we even talking about here? Verse 11. Today, in Bethlehem, the city of David, a time, a place, a real event, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, at this moment, The shepherds' brains are exploding in their heads. They can't even begin to put together the words that they're being told right now. The Jewish people at this point had been waiting for this promised Messiah, you hear that title, for hundreds and even thousands of years at this point. They were expecting some promised political military leader who would deliver them from all their oppression and usher in this amazing kingdom of peace and justice. And these angels are saying, this is not just a Messiah for one particular nation or ethnic group. This is the Messiah of all humanity. He's going to bring in a perfect kingdom of peace and justice. It's not even just Messiah, though. They say the Lord. You think of a Lord, you think of maybe a person who oversees a little geographical area. They're saying, no, this is Lord of heaven and earth. This is the supreme eternal being. He is gonna rule with perfect power and benevolence over the entire universe. He's Messiah, he's Lord, but there's one other title they give him. They say, Savior. Now you hear the word Savior, and that automatically assumes that there must be something you need to be saved from. And I'll just be honest with you guys, in my daily interactions with people, I don't see many that give an indication that they are in desperate need of a Savior or even a cosmic one and you even look at the conversations we have around the problems in our lives and society, you know where most of those conversations go? It's how can we concoct the right ingredients of policymaking, maybe a little bit of self-discipline, go to a little bit of therapy, buy a Peloton, and you can kind of solve most of the problems in this world and our lives. That's kind of our attitude. Now, what's fascinating, though, is the Bible makes an argument about what the core issue is around the issues and problems we face in our world and our lives. And it makes this argument that every single person has a terminal condition, and it's called sin. This is fundamentally a spiritual issue that spills out into every area of our lives and society and devastates everything in its path. This is not just some personality flaw. This is not even just a systemic or cultural issue. There is no amount of innovation, policymaking, or social progress that can fix this. And if you were to ask me at any point in my life, Brian, do you believe in sin? I would have told yeah, I believe in sin. Even after seminary, I could give you a nice, precise, clean theological definition for it. But I honestly don't think I truly appreciated and understood sin until I had children. If somebody comes up to me and says, I don't believe in sin, my response now is you just need to acquire a child and your mind will be changed very quickly. Now, here's the thing about kids. Some of you guys know, they start really cute, right? They're super innocent and precious and they cuddle with you. And then they turn two. And here's the deal. I've got two kids of my own, four and two years old. And I I just heard a guy go, oh, yeah. I'm living that right now, I'm living that right now. Now here's the thing, four and two. My older kid, East, and my son, I'll be honest with you, he is the prototypical firstborn. Sticks to the playbook, likes the rules, follows the program, and any of you parents who have more than one child, you know, you could fool yourself into thinking it's you doing that. And then the second child comes, and reality sets in. And for us, that was our daughter, Brinley you need to be praying for Brinley right now. (laughs) Brinley is the child that taught me, you need to lock away every single permanent marker in the house and throw away the key. Brinley is the child that taught me, if it's quiet in the house, that is not because it's peaceful. Something terrible is happening somewhere in the house and you're about to find out what it is. You cannot let my daughter's cute little eyes fool you. At every single moment she's calculating ways to bring chaos and destruction to my life. Honestly, I'm I'm not even kidding. Sometimes I just step back and I applaud her for her ingenuity and creativity to destroy things in our house. It's unbelievable. And he's like, I'm not even getting into my own sinful responses to my kid's behavior. That's a whole nother message. Now, here's why I'm telling you this though. Here's the point. From our earliest moments, we are living in a form of cosmic rebellion. C.S. Lewis was a famous professor, theologian, writer in the last century. He said this, nobody knows how bad they are until they have tried very hard to be good. I'm willing to make a bet today that most of us in this room, probably the large majority, are pretty decent people. I assume most, most of us, you pay your taxes, you get along with your neighbors as well as you can. You're not actively trying to destroy anybody's life. And by cultural standards, you are probably a stand-up citizen for the most part. I think that's a safe bet. By cultural standards. You know what God's standard is? God's standard is perfection. God actually made you to be perfect. God's entire original intent when he made this world and us was to create this beautiful utopia for human flourishing And our sin has tainted the entire project. And now we have this terrible predicament we're in. We experience all the effects of our own sin. We experience the effects of other people's sin. And we're sinning against God himself. And here's why that's a problem. You sin against an eternal God, and there's just an eternal price. Justice is baked into the fabric of reality of our human experience. But this is why Christmas is the greatest news ever. It is the announcement that God has come into his own creation to clean up a mess he did not make. Because you gotta know the whole story. Jesus isn't just born, he doesn't stay as a cute baby. He's God in the flesh, he grows up, he lives a sinless, perfect life. And at the critical juncture of human history, he takes the sin of humanity upon himself on the cross. Burying it in the ground with him and coming out the other side, defeating it once and for all. And Jesus, he is alive today, ruling and reigning and offering forgiveness and grace, the hope of a life of purpose, eternity to anybody who will receive it. That's the best news ever. It's everything God intended and more. That is the news. We need saving. We cannot save ourselves, but we don't have to. The Savior has come. He came for you. He came for you. He came for you. There's not a single person in this room or watching online that God did not have in mind when he came to this earth. He did not come as an angry tyrant to judge, he came as a loving father to save. I don't know what else you call that other than good news. That is really, really good news. And the shepherds are hearing this news for the first time. And I love their response. This is in verse 15 of chapter two. This is right after this event. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I love this. They just saw a crowd of angels. The glory of heaven has come down. And right after, they're like, let's go hop on our bikes and go check this thing out. I want to go see this kid for myself. I want to verify this experience. And let me just encourage you, if you are here today and maybe you're a little skeptical, you're still exploring, you're not fully convinced, let me just encourage you, do not take my word for it. Don't take your parents' word for it. Don't even take an angel's word for it. Go see for yourself. Do whatever you need to do. Go wherever you need to go to figure out where you stand on this because it is so easy in our world today to be flippant about the claims of Jesus. We treat this stuff so carelessly. This is way too important to take lightly. And if you are here today and you are even open to maybe exploring more or looking into this, let me encourage you to do one thing get your hands on a Bible. And actually, we have some in the background on the table. Just take one. Merry Christmas. No strings attached. Just steal it, okay? That can be your claim to fame. You stole a Bible from a church on Christmas, all right? But even if you don't want a physical Bible, just take your phone out and search Bible in the app store. You'll find one. And once you get your hands on a Bible, physical or digital, I don't care. Find the book of Luke. You will figure it out, okay? And just start reading. Don't come with an agenda Don't come with any expectations. Just read it at face value and see what it has to say about this person, Jesus. It'll take you maybe an hour to do that. You owe it to yourself to do at least that much with something this important. And this is what the shepherds do. They put the work in. They do their due diligence, and they are some of the first people on planet Earth to see God in the flesh, Jesus himself. And right after that moment in verse 20, it says this, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. These guys see God in the flesh and they are just erupting with joy and praise because they realize everything they heard was true. I don't think they just have joy because of that. I think ultimately why these guys can't even hold the praise back is because they had a genuine encounter. In 1996, I had a genuine encounter. I had been hearing the news for months. I'd been looking at Toys R Us catalogs. And on the Christmas morning of that year, I went down to that Christmas tree and looked at all the presents. And there was one particular box where the light of heaven descended down upon it. And as I opened it, my eyes gazed upon my very own Nintendo 64. And can I just tell you this? It was everything I could have ever hoped for and more. It it exceeded every single expectation I could have possibly had. It changed my life. And actually, this picture right there, that is my face on the left. That is the face of a boy who's seen the face of God right there. That's all I can say. Okay? Absolutely life-changing. Now, it was actually a couple of years after that Christmas when I had a type of genuine encounter I didn't even know was possible. See, I was, I was raised in church for the most part. I'd been to enough services to be a little bit familiar with the language and the God stuff. But to be totally honest, I was not interested. It was not something I was actively pursuing. I didn't really want it in my life. And then there was one particular church service, not totally unlike this one, where for the first time in my entire life, I had a genuine encounter. I had a real personal experience with the Savior. And it was this overwhelming presence and love of a God who cared so much for me that he died for me and offering to me mercy, grace, purpose for life, Hope for eternity. And in that moment, Jesus was not just the Savior. He became my Savior. And I'm standing before you decades after that event to tell you it was more than anything I could have ever hoped for. It exceeded every single expectation. My life has been forever changed because I had a genuine encounter with God. Now, I'm sure there's some of us in this room where you've heard the stories before, you're familiar with some of the language, but you still need to have your own genuine encounter. You need to have your own personal experience. You need Jesus not just to be the Savior, but your Savior. And I'm here to tell you today, you can. You can experience the real grace of God You can have your sins forgiven. You can experience a life of real purpose. You can have hope for eternity. You can have a genuine encounter with God Himself. And we're actually going to end the service today by singing a song together. Worship team's going to join us. And this is a classic: you almost can't have a Christmas service without this. It's silent night. And we're actually going to have a team come out. They're going to help get some of your candles lit. If you guys want to take your candles out, this is about that time in the service. And Some people are going to be coming around helping you get them lit. If yours is the one that's lit, hold it nice, straight, and steady. We're trying to prevent the wax from getting on the floor. And then, if you have the one that's not lit, just reach over and get it lit, and we'll help get everything lit down the roads. We're going to give the worship team a moment to come out, and we're, we're going to get all your candles lit, and we'll get started here in just a minute. as we finish getting all of our candles lit here and we get ready to sing this song, here's what I'm hoping is going to happen in this moment. My hope is that this would not just be a cultural exercise. I'm really hoping that we can sing this song with some fresh perspective. And there's one portion of this song in particular, the second stanza, where it's referring to this experience the shepherd has had, their genuine encounter. And it has this refrain at the end that says, Christ the Savior is born. It's the declaration of news. It's the event. It's the world changing.